0: The Miracle of May Lemke's Love by Joseph Blank. Day after day, she cared for the unwanted child, talking and singing to him, encouraging and loving him, trying to break through the barrier holding him mute and helpless. The hospital had a serious problem. A six-month-old infant named Leslie. Mentally impaired and without eyes, The baby also had cerebral palsy. He was a limp vegetable, totally unresponsive to sound or touch. His parents had abandoned him. No one knew what to do until a doctor mentioned May Lemke, a nurse governess living nearby. A staff nurse telephoned May and explained that Leslie would probably die in a short time. Would you help us by taking care of him while he lives? the nurse asked. If I take him, he certainly will not die, and I will take him, May replied. The nurse never mentioned that money could be provided for the infant's care, and it never occurred to May to ask. That was 30 years ago. She was 52 at the time. May and her second husband, Joe, lived in a small house at the edge of a lake in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. A World War I bride from England, May had raised five children to adulthood. Her first husband died in 1943, and five years later she married Joe Lemke, a skilled construction worker. Only 1.37 metres tall and weighing just 41 kilos, May is still the direct-talking, indefatigable woman Joe married, and she retains the same deep faith in God. Today, at 82, she rarely walks, she scurries. When May accepted the baby, she accepted him as just that, A baby, no different from others. To be taught and loved. On the first feeding attempt, she saw that Leslie lacked the sucking reflex that is spontaneous with most babies. Apparently he had been fed by tube at the hospital. May quickly taught him. She put the bottle nipple between his lips, then put her lips near his, moving the nipple and making sucking sounds against his cheek. He caught on. As she worked with him, May sang a lullaby remembered from her own childhood. She changed a few words to fit Leslie's blindness. Only a baby small dropped from the sky. Only a baby small without any eyes. Only a baby small always at rest. Only a baby small that God knows best. She bathed him, cuddled him for hours, talked to him, sang to him. He never moved or uttered a sound. Year after year she cared for him, but there was no movement, no smile, no tears, no sound. If May had not tied him to the back of the chair, he would have toppled over. May never stopped talking to him. She massaged his back, legs, arms and fingers. She prayed, and sometimes when she prayed she wept and put his hands to her cheeks so he could feel the tears. I feel sad right now and I'm crying, she would say to Leslie. May refused to consider the child a burden. I did not seek Leslie, so there has to be a reason why I was picked to raise this child, she told herself. God, in his time, will show me the reason. May was never reluctant to bring Leslie out in public. He was her boy, her love. She intuitively felt that somewhere in the maze of his damaged brain he was trying, and she was proud of him. On a bus, a woman who several times had seen May talking to the unresponsive boy in her arms said, Why don't you put that child in an institution? You're wasting your life. It's you who's wasting your life, May snapped. This kind of a child is brought round by kindness and love. Not in an hour or a month or a year. Lasting kindness and love. One summer, Joe spent hours in a lake bobbing the boy around in the water, hoping that the doll-like, lifeless movements of his arms and legs would inspire him to move his limbs voluntarily. Once or twice, May thought she detected deliberate motions, but Leslie did not repeat them. That autumn, May took Leslie to a rehabilitation centre. No one considered anything could be done for the boy. There was not a single word of encouragement. This professional pessimism did not deter her. She knew that someday Leslie was going to break out of his prison. She just had to help him. She tried to think of a way to get the concept of walking into his mind. He had never made a move to crawl. He had never seen anyone walk. She asked Joe, who was a rock of support to her, to make a wide leather belt for her waist and attach small loops on each side of it. Taking steps. She would clasp Leslie's hands to her hips in the hope that he would absorb the walking motion. He just slumped and dangled behind her. The Lemkeys then had a wire mesh fence erected along the side of their property and May stood Leslie next to it, thrusting his fingers through the openings. After several weeks, he got the idea of letting the fence support him. He stood. He was sixteen. Then May tried to get him to move along the fence. She never stopped talking to him, encouraging him. Come on, love, move just a little bit, a little bit. She said this hundreds of times, moving his hands and feet herself. Finally, he moved on his own. Once he could do that, she tried to lure him away from the fence. Come to mummy, love. Please come to mummy, she'd call. After months... He learnt to totter two or three steps. It was an interminable, gruelling struggle, but May never thought of it as a struggle. She was simply striving to help her boy. But she knew that she needed help in this effort. Please do something for Leslie, May prayed time and again. He may be 18 years old, but he's still a baby. Once she got angry. The Bible tells of the miracles. Please, dear God, Let there be a miracle for this boy. One day, she noticed Leslie's index finger moving against a taut piece of string round a package, as if plucking it. Was this a sign, she wondered? What did it mean? Music, she exclaimed to herself. That's it, music. From then on, the Lemke house was filled with music from the record player, the radio and the TV. Hour after hour, The music played. Leslie gave no indication that he was listening. May and Joe bought an old upright piano and placed it in Leslie's bedroom. Repeatedly, May pushed his fingers against the keys to show him that his fingers could make sounds. He remained totally indifferent. It happened in the winter of 1971. May was awakened by the sound of music. It was 3 a.m., Someone was playing Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto No. 1. She shook Joe. Did you leave the radio on, she asked. No, he said. Then where's the music coming from? She swung out of bed and turned on the lounge room light. It dimly illuminated Leslie's room. Leslie was at the piano. May saw a smile glowing on his face. He had never before got out of bed on his own. He had never seated himself at the piano. He had never voluntarily or deliberately struck the keys with his fingers. Now he was actually playing a concerto, and with deafness and confidence, May fell to her knees. Thank you, dear God, you didn't forget Leslie. Leslie obviously had been listening to the music, and listening with such intense concentration that, like a computer, his brain had stored every composition that had come to his ears. Why the music burst out of him on that early morning hour in late winter is unknown. But come it did, like a gale. His repertoire ranged through the classics, rock, ragtime, country and western, and gospel. Coming out musically opened the door for all kinds of emotions and developments. Occasionally, a single word popped from his mouth. Then, one afternoon, some children were playing on the other side of the wire mesh fence and May asked them what they were doing. One of them answered, ''We're having fun.'' Leslie took a few steps along the fence. ''I'm having fun,'' he said, in a thick but understandable voice. It was his first complete sentence, and May grabbed him and hugged him. Several months later, Leslie began to tremble, and tears rolled down his cheeks. I'm crying, he sobbed. I'm crying. He had never wept before, and now he did so just as his mother had years before. May watched him cry a flood for 20 minutes. She was grateful that he could express whatever pain or fear had been locked inside him. To her, it was a beautiful sight. Leslie also learnt to feel his way through the rooms, use the toilet, brush his teeth, bathe himself. Meanwhile, Leslie's skill at the piano steadily increased. His rendition of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue is a tour de force, flawless and evocative. And he sings. Before learning to speak clearly, he could readily mimic a variety of singers. He has a big, round voice, and when he pulls out all the stops, it can be heard a block away. He can do Luciano Pavarotti in two Italian operas, Jimmy Durante in Inca Dinka Do, Louis Armstrong in Hello, Dolly, and both parts of the Jeanette macdonald nelson Eddy duet in Sweethearts. Two years ago, at the age of 28, Leslie began talking in earnest. Although he cannot hold a give-and-take conversation, he makes statements and can ask and answer questions. Sometimes he expresses an opinion. While listening to TV one night, Leslie got fed up with the dialogue in a situation comedy. Better turn that off, he said. They're all crazy. As news of Leslie's talent travelled, groups requested him for concerts. May pondered the invitations. Then she decided that public appearances would be valuable to Leslie. The music would give him a sense of participating in society. And those people sitting out there, watching and listening, might get a sense of wonderment and a feeling of hope that they might never have had. They would see what can happen to a human being thought to be absolutely hopeless and helpless, she said. Leslie played at churches, civic clubs, and schools and for groups of children with cerebral palsy and their parents. He went on to universities, fairs, local television, and finally, American national TV. He loves performing. Sometimes he will burst into song while sitting in an airport lounge or airliner. People around him are often startled by his first notes, but his closing is met with exclamations and applause. There still are many things Leslie cannot do. Those fingers that perform so brilliantly at the keyboard cannot use a knife or fork. But ask what music means to him, and he replies with a voice that is firm. Music, says Leslie, is love. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.